0: the people in life are countless, so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Sidequests and sidequests. and Episode 95, Cirrus, the Rakshasa Entertainer. Welcome. To sidekicks and side quests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwogi, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Nicholas Cartarelli's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, still the best unofficial, unofficial, in big capital letters, unofficial Dungeons & Dragons podcast in my humbly biased opinion. Before I introduce my guest, I'd like to give a shout out to my first sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicenda is the mastermind behind his mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He's got beard balms named after all the basic stats from D&D, so get a can, apply it to your face, and smell the sweet aroma and the sweet victory that comes along with increased strength, dexterity, charisma, and more. Beards and Beyond is the indie RPG that helped to launch this brand, but Tony's collaborated and developed several other projects, including Repugnant, Eye Toaster, Down We Go, Through the Void, Vamp Nugula, and Brandstanding. If you support Plus One EXP either by buying something on their website or going to tonyplusone.itch.io, it all helps funnel into the Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional indie tabletop content creators to continue making awesome stuff. So I'd highly encourage you to follow Tony and Plus One EXP on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, in order to keep up with all the various projects that are being worked on, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these other amazing TTRPGs. And if you don't mind, head on over to plusoneexp.com and use that affiliate code of mine, Randolph, when you're buying a beard bomb or a beard RPG in order to get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you. Again, that code is Randolph at checkout on the website, plusoneexp.com. All right. And I have got a wonderful guest for you today. It is the birthday episode. So hello. Happy birthday to me. Without further ado, hello, mystery contestant. Would you care to introduce yourself? Tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do?
1: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm Nick Cartarelli. I'm the host of Raised on D&D podcast. Uh, I have been a gamer for over 30 years, and I've raised all three of my children on tabletop role-playing games in Dungeons and Dungeons & Dragons. The podcast Raised on D&D is an interview podcast where I feature Uh, gamers from all kinds of walks of life where we talk about uh, the benefits of tabletop role-playing games with young people family and friends i'm also a professional dungeon master over at start playing games and on roll 20 i have been for uh since 2013.
0: that's cool yeah what's that like being uh, you know the grind of the professional dungeon master and you know having that uh, five star plus rating and everyone wants to come play in your games.
1: Uh, It is very time consuming but very rewarding. Awesome.
0: We follow each other on the same sorts of similar uh, social media circles so I had seen your post for a long time but I was like you know we followed like the same sorts of crowds and I need to learn more about this podcast and so I know I've gone all the way to the very beginning. You've actually had the, the ability to interview Luke Gygax, one of Gary Gygax's sons. Your very inaugural episode, you had your daughter on. And then as well, you, I believe, had one of your sons who, who's, who's really good at voices and impressions that I've had the opportunity to listen to. So, yeah, that's like you were saying, you run the whole gamut of life, you know, from your family to first, quote unquote, first families of a D&D, as it were.
1: Thank you, Kurt. Uh, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, the The very first episode with my daughter has to be still my favorite episode. It's the worst edited episode for folks who <laughs> go back and listen to it. Um, the editing's gotten way better uh, mm. and the sound quality. But yeah, I I go ahead and I've actually I've interviewed gamers from all around the world. I'm up to 15 different countries, um, and it's it's really really amazing.
0: But as you were alluding to before we started rolling you've got all your stuff ready and uh, it's a pretty good giveaway but do you currently or have you ever played DD before
1: yeah like i mentioned i've i've been gaming for over 30 years um i started with second edition dungeons and dragons so i don't go all the way back to the beginning but fairly close i've played a wide variety of games uh, including uh, Star Trek, Star Wars RPGs, uh, Mutants and Masterminds, uh, Call of Cthulhu, obviously, Vampire the Masquerade. So the whole gamut. In my early 20s, I actually started a local private tabletop role-playing game club that went up to 50 members, and it lasted 20 years. I was only the president for six of those, but uh, the rest was my predecessor. And unfortunately, COVID and the lockdowns uh mm. brought that to a close. But uh, twenty years privately owned uh organization for tabletop role playing players here in Central Florida, it was a it was a beautiful thing.
0: How has it been for you working your way through the additions, as it were, not only in this particular tabletop game, but maybe, you know, some of the other ones since you said you span the gamut.
1: Well, it can be difficult when you understand multiple systems, sometimes get it mixed. I'll be running fifth edition D&D and uh, things from third edition will bleed in and I have to have players kind of go, uh, that, "That
2: that's third edition, Nick. It's supposed to be, we're in fifth. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So, <laughs> so it can be a little confusing, but what I think is wonderful when Game Masters uh, expand, to different games and different systems is you can pick up little things that you can put into your you know, homebrew or house rules um, that can make the game more enjoyable or more efficient for your players. Well,
0: of course, on this podcast, we like to talk about the sidekicks and the side quests. So I got to ask, who's been your favorite NPC, whether they're from a, one of your games or a video game, or maybe they're even from a piece of literature, a television show, a film, etc. And uh, why has this character been your favorite?
1: As a fantastic question, Kurt, I think that my absolute favorite sidekick would have to be uh, Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. You probably get that answer a lot. Um, Very
0: popular answer, certainly.
1: Yes, and I think it's because he enveloped so many great qualities, but I'm going to throw an old school gamer answer at you as well. The other side character that I think is uh maybe hasn't been mentioned before is Nodwick from the comic book Nodwick Mm. um and he is a henchman to an adventuring party and he is off he is often kind of abused and neglected and uh often resurrected so Mm. uh if folks out there are not fans of uh Nodwick or are unfamiliar with it definitely google that check that out
0: this comic series kind of follows like his vantage point like you know oh the adventurers are doing their thing in the big adventure but then it's like we're kind of focused on his lens of like how things are going or how he's being treated or perceived
1: he's technically part of the team but as a hireling he's kind of has a a backseat to it the the comic strip is called nodwick because obviously he's the the side character and also the star at the same time. Um it's it is hilarious. Um it's very comical. I think Nodwick was really the inspiration for a lot of our favorite uh web comics like Order of the Stick, Life of the Party, things like that. If you're fans of those, you might you might enjoy Nodwick.
0: To go along with this theme as well, what's been one of your favorite side quests, whether it's been from an RPG, video game, movie, film, television, etc., and why has this side quest stuck with you?
1: I hate to bring up video games when there's so many great tabletop role playing game examples, but I have to give a shout out to one of my loves, which is Skyrim. And I think Mm. we can all agree Uh, when you're going through, there are so many side quests that are thrown your way. Um, You're going through, you're becoming the Dragonborn, you're trying to save... Uh, All of Skyrim. uh, And yet everybody and their brothers got a little something for you to do. Mm -hmm. And I I really enjoy the role play options. Uh, There is a bad guy and you don't know he's a bad guy at the time. He's like a jester and his wagon breaks down and he's in the middle of the road and of course he's got a coffin he says it's his mom's in it but it's like his mom's like this evil thing and the the coffin's trying to get to like some horrible dark ritual and you've got to talk a farmer into helping him fix his wagon wheel And if you do it, great, you get to fight them later. Um, And if you don't, then you kind of stop the evil thing from happening. And so it's like, make a good choice, a bad thing happens. Make a bad choice, a good thing happens. Um, And I have to say that 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 particular side quest just sticks out to me because uh, so often the heroes are in hero mode. I've got to help everybody I meet. That they Mm -hmm. never stop to kind of go, wait a second, this guy seems kind of bad. All
0: right. And then uh, the final question here in the personal interview section, what are you passionate about and
1: why? I'm passionate about purposeful parenting. And I work my love for tabletop role-playing games into my uh, parenting, and I have from the very beginning, as as you've heard in the show uh, on Raised on D&D podcast, I actually started my children off very early. They were like five, four, two and a half. Um, very watered down rules and walking them through scenarios using things like enlarged dice, miniatures, maps to keep uh, preschoolers attention. And then since then have worked their way up. Now they're all teenagers. Now we're playing things like Call of Cthulhu and uh, more mature content RPGs. But the biggest thing is, is that my wife and I thought that not only was it a great educational tool, but we thought that if we could create the bonding that happens between strangers at a game table, between siblings and with us, it would strengthen our family bond. And tabletop role-playing games have done that. So you asked me what I'm passionate about. I have to say it has to be parenting and applying tabletop role-playing games to that.
0: So when you were just explaining, you started your children young. You said as early as, you know, the youngest one being like two and a half. So I know my kiddo is, you know, about to be two. Yeah. So even a a two-year-old with really watered down rules, you could start kind of spoon feeding them The ideas and the mechanics of like how Dungeons and Dragons or just generic, you know, role playing scenarios work.
1: Well, I'll be honest with you, Kurt, 11, 12 years ago, there weren't a lot of games out there specifically designed for preteens and younger children. But now you have a wide variety. There's Amazing Tales. There's Mermaid Adventures. Hero Kids is a great one. And I could go on and on and on. I, I talked to a lot of the creators of these types of games on Raised on DD and podcast. But you can also, one resource that I always recommend, especially to parents, is ttrpgkids.com my friend Stephanie Campbell runs that blog and she does game reviews interviews all of those things and uh, she has actually created a database of all of the games that you can look for and you can look for children in your children's age group and then go there and find what games are out there for download or purchase in your local game store, uh, that it w- is already custom designed for your child's development level. So uh, that's the beauty of the tabletop role-playing game community: is the fact that all these amazing things are out there now and they're available. and And some of them I got to play with my my children when they were younger, and some of them they they grew up before they were available.
0: All right, now that we've had uh, the opportunity to learn more about my guest, I think it's time we head into a segment called NPC Creation. NPC Creation is brought to you by you, the podcast audience and our patrons from Patreon. Now is the time to give a shout-out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, Katie Downey. Ansa Jablinski and my parents, we say cheers. Again, the shout out is for patrons who donate $2 or more a month. These folks are my highest tier patrons, the wealthy level patrons. So that means that they are able to add an element of chance to our random tables and NPC creation, which we might get to use here today. If you want to join the cheapest podcast Patreon community out there, check the show notes below. Go to my podcast website or just go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicksandsidequest to find out more about our three tiers, one, two, four dollars a month, and help us to expand our operations at the Levitating Platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond. All right, so self-explanatory, but this is the section of the show where we get to make up an NPC. And uh, before we started hitting the record buttons, you had stated you had your dice ready and you were ready to randomize an NPC today. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Very excited.
0: Okay. Well, of course, on this show, we like to start off with the name of the character. And the way we do that is we roll a D20.
1: I got a nine, Kurt.
0: Nine. Okay. Your answer was provided by previous guest, Catherine Spitler cirrus which is spelled c-i-r-r-u-s the next question what is the ancestry of this character we'll figure that out by rolling 2d10s for a d100 effect
2: 66
0: 66 okay all right well uh, cirrus is a rakshasa or rakshasa as it's pronounced properly
1: now this is the uh tiger man is that correct
0: Yeah, so the modern stuff has been depicted as like a a tiger-like demon sort of creature with the backwards hands. There's a fantastic episode, if you haven't listened to it, by Kill Every Monster podcast, and they had KP on as their guest. They went into the actual mythology Hindu aspects of like what is a Rakshasa, so... Uh, I found great value in that episode, and I hope that whenever I get to use a Rakshasa in the future, that I can use some of those very cool points. Awesome. So Sirius the Rakshasa, and now we need to figure out what is the job or role in society that this Rakshasa is keeping, and we will determine that by rolling just a regular D10.
1: That's a seven.
0: A seven as I check. Okay, well, your answer was provided by previous guest, Dr. Paul Guestwicky, entertainer. So apparently Sirius is uh, masquerading as some sort of entertainer. And then the final thing we get to roll for before we take a slight pause in the dice rolling, how old is the character? We determine this by rolling a D8.
1: That's a two.
0: Teenager. So we got a teenage Rakshasa named Sirius who is an entertainer. With all of these pieces of information in mind, describe the physical appearance of Sirius. So when you see... Cirrus, teenager, Rakshasa, entertainer, what comes to mind?
1: So Cirrus is a little on the slender side. His uh, orange in his coat is very bright, and his backwards hands are slightly enlarged for his size and age.
0: And is Cirrus still in, like, the Nine Hells or the Abyss, or is Cirrus masquerading as a humanoid uh, in the material plane or something like that?
1: Yes, yeah, he's out and about as a as an entertainer. He's a sleight of hand magician.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. So, as a magician, and does he appear naturally as himself, or does he don like different disguises?
1: Mm, I would say that he at least looks uh, like a cat humanoid.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay, so not that far off. So maybe like a tabaxi sort of a disguise. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Okay, so he's so a teen. So still relatively young in his, uh, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think in the nomenclature now, they would say like, oh, rukshas are typically like lawful evil or something like that. So do you imagine that Sirius kind of falls along that same sort of thinking or Sirius as a teenager is like, well, I, you know, oh, this, you know, corrupting souls, whatever. I don't care about that. I'd rather, you know, try my hand on the road and a dog and pony magic trick sort of a show.
1: I think it's uh, I think it's more sinister than that. I think mm. he is lawful evil, and he's uh, he uses his sleight of hand to kind of move about, move about as if he's a traveling show. But he's he he's got some some deep machinations that he's working on, trying to prove himself among his demon kind.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. I guess build up street cred, as it were, and like ah, see, look at all these people I can corrupt along the way as I'm just. You know, I'm being an innocent little, like, you know, tabaxi magician and stuff like that. But meanwhile, it's like trying to get some good, good points back home or bad points back home. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. So is there anything in particular, maybe like with the tabaxi disguise that makes a Cirrus distinctive in that way or just tries to be very unassuming? Sort of like, oh yeah, just an entertainer magician, like just blends in with the crowd. Sort of a
1: thing. no, no. Uh, being being a teenager, he's uh, he's very impulsive. He's risky. He's showy. He looks like a Tabaxi, but he still has that orange tiger look to him. So mm. other Tabaxi's kind of you go, know, you know, where's what land is he from? And mm. uh, and he, so he's got an exotic look to him, but then on top of it, he wears flashy clothes and things like that so as an entertainer uh so it's a lot of hiding in plain sight right out front getting the spotlight and so that you know and that draws uh, the attention of like clerics and paladins and things like that so another reason why he's constantly on the move
0: Okay. And does he adopt like a stage name, stage persona? Because I'm sure like a a demon or a devil wouldn't want you to really know their name because I'm sure that means you could hold some kind of power over them. Or is he just that, like you were saying, naive and impulsive that he's like, yeah, no, that's my name. I'll just go by that and sheer bravado. Does he work alone or does he like, you know, travel with the whole traveling circus
1: he probably moves the letters around in his name and creates a uh, different, what's it called an anagram for every different town that he's in, because he's not really after fame, at least not on the material realm, right? Um, and he probably is in and out of caravans for cover, those kind of things, and, and resources and protection and travel and things like that.
0: And if we had to describe Cirrus with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use?
1: Mm, Well, we would say ambitious, reckless, and cunning. Those are probably three adjectives.
0: Now we get to go back to some dice rolling. So we like our NPCs to have cool valuables, but they can come in many forms. So uh, what particular item, piece of lore, a secret, or even ideal or concept does Cirrus ascribe to? We can determine this randomly by rolling a D4 for the category and then a D6 for the particular thing.
1: Sure. Let's do that. So for the D4, we get a one. I don't. And for the D6, we get a one.
0: Aha, okay. Your answer was provided by previous guest, Shannon Robichaud. Cirrus has a never-ending bottle of ink. Do you think that factors into his uh, stage magic show? Does he have a trick or something like that where he's like, oh, I'm going to spill the ink, but then the ink keeps coming out or something like that?
1: I think the never-ending bottle of ink is probably use for something even more sinister um Mm. like writing up contracts in his dealings and uh tricking of souls things like that
0: so if he's using the ink you know for these contracts and stuff like that is it it's not happening during the show is it like afterwards when he's like talking to people and promising them all sorts of wild things
1: so the sleight of hand uh magic that he does is going to have everything to do with uh playing cards and so he does all these card tricks for the crowd draw a crowd those kind of things and then what he does is he finds someone in the crowd that's particularly gullible and easily influenced Mm -hmm. and he actually gets into uh tricks them into a bet as they're kind of gambling Through the tricks, you know, if you can figure this trick out, if you can, you know, pick the right card, those kind of things, you know, Mm -hmm. you'll get a prize versus, you know, something else. And then Mm -hmm. after the show is over, he has them wait after and then uses his never ending bottle of ink to write up some kind of demonic contract.
0: Oh, interesting. And so then in order for them to claim the prize, you know, maybe mirroring the real world, if you've ever gone to a casino or something like that, and you happen to win the major jackpot, they're like, all right, come over here. You got to sign some paperwork and we're going to take, you know, 40% of it because of, you know, lottery laws and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, take the cash and, you know, lump sum or, you know, annuities, or you can take like, you know, the motorcycle or the car or whatever it is that you won or something like that.
1: He's used to dealing with like simple commoner folk. And so it, it, it's real. he uh, it uses that sleight of hand, the flashiness, the fast talk and just gets them to sign and then gives them a little uh, trinket that he says is magical or something like that.
0: Maybe letting people think they won, like they got one on him. So that way he's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you won this magical shovel. You won't have to work as hard during the day. And so like, oh, well, you know, I, I had to get it and consignment and like, I just need you to sign this form and I can give you the magic shovel. And then literally they don't realize that in the contract, it's like, well, I just sold my soul for a shovel or something like that. And then uh, it's like, ah, you know, he's able to take it back, um, you know, to the nine hells. And it's like, look, I, I tricked someone into selling their soul away for a shovel or something like that.
1: And that's why he's got to keep moving, because that that trick only works one town at a time.
0: And uh, of course, if you're going to deploy Sirius in your game, we like to give them the option of presenting a side quest of their own. So what's going to be a particular quest that Sirius would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do? If you want to generate this one randomly, you can roll the last dice, which is going to be a D12. Or if you're inspired at this point, can kind of freestyle it and kind of come up with your own side quest.
1: I have some ideas, but I don't, I want to see what the table says. So I'm going to roll this D 12. See what we get. That's going to be a 10.
0: Aha. Your answer was provided by Claire Sullivan and McKaylee love of the and dragons podcast. Keep a ship from leaving port. Does that sound like something Sirius would be able to pull off for a party to try and do? Does it have to do with someone that he swindled? Maybe he's like, Oh, I didn't get him to get his signature or something like that. And he's going back on this boat or something like that. So he needs the party to like keep the boat in the port while he's like getting this signature or whatever.
1: I like that. I like that idea where he's maybe he's pulling his stunts, but now he's doing it in a port town. And what he's learned about the port town is that different audiences come and go. So mm-hmm. it, because he's not he's not doing it for the locals, he's doing it on the docks for the travelers and the sailors. So mm-hmm. he gets a a particularly gullible merchant captain to, to fall for his trick. And while the contract is getting ready to be signed they're interrupted and the captain walks away and Mm. so uh, because of that he's now scrambling frantic and he needs the adventurers to stop that ship i like it
0: we have to think about the consequences so if the player characters are successful in the regards of stopping this ship from leaving port you know getting the captain and like not totally leave and he comes back and signs the contract and whatever else what's Cirrus going to reward the party with in their efforts
1: Cirrus, as he is kind of uh going along on his travels uh one of the things that he likes to do is those prizes that he's been giving away before they were ordinary items like a shovel And that was a quick, easy way. But as he's gone along on his adventures, he's picked up a cursed item or more. And Mm -hmm. so uh, at first, he's just kind of distributing cursed items into society to create havoc. But he's got a very special cursed item that he'd like to give the adventurers for succeeding. Once again, Mm -hmm. another prize that is a backhanded kind of reward. I would think that uh, adventurers would be interested in some kind of pouch, like a like a bag of holding of some kind, but instead, because it's cursed, instead of when they put the items in, it never gives them what they want to pull out, that they ask to pull out, it's always random. So whatever's in the bag, something random will come out instead of what you ask for
0: interesting okay so a little bit of the chaos so it's not directly harmful so then if the players i guess try and hunt down Cirrus, they're like yo what gives you gave us a defective bag of holding or he's like oh oh i gave you oh i gave you a defective bag oh that's so weird i don't i don't remember doing that but oh such a bummer
1: he can always do sleight a hand and hand them the same bag right back
0: oh wow okay <laughs> oh i gave
1: you the wrong bag hold on one second here you go <laughs>
0: yeah the, if they uh, if they didn't out- overturn, well, because I guess what is the trick with the bag of holding? I guess if you turn it inside out, that's what gets all the items to spill out. But I imagine that would get very annoying over time if they're just like, well, we'll just go with the defective bag of holding, but they're having to like overturn it every time in like in a Bethesda game or something like that, this whole mountain of items just randomly spills on the ground. They're like trying to dig through it to find the specific thing they need. and then one by one, having to put like all the items back in the bag
1: or if it's a, a dangerous situation and they're trying to get that one particular item to save them uh and they keep pulling out random things uh not not helpful not helpful goes back to the old 80s uh D cartoon with the wizard trying to pull the very specific thing out of his hat and it's always something random
0: what's going to be the consequence of failure the players are trying to stop this captain but They're either not persuasive, they're not fast enough, or just something happens. They get into a confrontation that pulls their focus and attention away from stopping this captain from getting on his ship and leaving. How is Cirrus going to react to that kind of a situation?
1: So, obviously, Cirrus is a teenager just running amok uh, in the material plane. So, somebody has to be his sponsor or his uh, mentor or his patron, something along those lines. So, uh, if the heroes fail in this quest, not only do they not get their defective bag of holding, but on top of that, like a teenager, Cirrus will go running home to, uh, say, you know, these guys... Uh, broke a deal with me. They took advantage of me and I I need some consequences for them. And so the heroes have got themselves a a new arch nemesis for the campaign. And he might have some uh, friends from the other side coming after them as well.
0: I've got friends on the other side. Yes. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. The subtle way to be like, I've got this really cool mini of a pit fiend but I don't know how I'm going to be able to introduce them <laughs> in the campaign. I know. Uh, yeah, Cirrus works for this pit fiend, or like, hey, and this pit fiend go way back. And all of a sudden, this, it's like, hey, you didn't do this thing that my friend needed, so now I'm going to make your life a living hell.
1: And and as a dungeon master, I'd wait a couple of sessions so they've forgotten all about the tabaxi asking them to hold up a merchant ship for uh, 24 hours. <laughs>
0: hmm there we go what are the goals and motivations of cirrus as a character
1: so i think um cirrus being lawful evil he's obviously he has some goals some kind of like i said some dark machinations that he's he's working towards he's trying to gather these contracts gather these commoner souls hand out these cursed items and uh and it's probably some deep uh nine hell's politics thing where he's trying to make it to lieutenant or something like that okay so
0: climbing up the corporate ladder as it were
1: and then how do these goals and motivations
0: affect cirrus's general personality
1: he's risky and ambitious um which can result in him being impatient and maybe the side quest is being handed to just the wrong heroes But he's desperate and he doesn't want to lose his momentum or his quota, whatever it is he's working towards. And so he doesn't pick the right kind of player characters, which would be like an evil party or some dark rogue types. Instead, he's dropping this side quest on the first heroes that come along who might be clerics, paladins, whatever.
0: And then how does Cirrus normally interact uh, with different groups of people? Like, is he nuanced when it comes to, like, different groups? Or is he pretty much the same across the board?
1: So he has a very hammer and nails world view. So everyone has his gold in their pocket and he's trying to get it into his pocket. And so because of that, he's going through and it doesn't matter if it's um, commoners or kings, elves or humans, he just kind of looks at all the material plane peoples as an opportunity. Does
0: Sirius have a particular accent or language that he uses? Are there any idiosyncrasies in how he acts or speaks?
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I would say that while he's on the material plane, he probably tries to talk like a tabaxi, um, and there's purrs and those kind of things, and it's completely it's completely made up. Like, if a player character is a tabaxi, they might notice that his speech or his accent is a little skewed, a little forced.
0: He's affecting a tabaxi accent and mannerisms and stuff like that. But if a player character were a tabaxi, they'd be like, this guy sounds real weird. So it might kind of give them their first clue as to like, this guy might not be who he says he is kind of a thing.
1: Yes, it's it's definitely a tell for characters who are uh, who are tabaxi,
0: and what impact has Cirrus made on the world? How has he shaped the local area? I know he's kind of transitory, as it were. Does Cirrus already have some sort of reputation in this area, or is he like brand new to the area, as it were?
1: No, we'll say that uh, caravans and whatnot that he moves around with the car- carnivals, whatever he's uh, whatever he's attached himself to um recently he does have uh, a little bit of a reputation but it's always trailing behind him so as he's going to places it's always a new face because if he circles back around people will see the same tricks and things like that
0: does cirrus have any current problems that prevent him from being a bigger player on the stage
1: so i would say that he definitely has maybe depending on the setting that we put him in, um, has problems with maybe clerics or paladins of the Church of Lithander or uh, Pelor uh, coming after him, uh, looking for him. They're kind of catching on to these dirty deals and these cursed items popping up in villages and it seems to be, uh, you know, in the wake of these caravans and these carnivals and things like that. So there's witch hunters are chasing him. Alright. Well, I think
0: we've learned quite a bit about our NPC that we've made that I think it's time we throw him into. A Random Encounter. This Random Encounter is brought to you by Reaper Miniatures. They have been Texas titans of the tabletop industry since 1994, and they're right here in DFW, and they've got an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories and they stream on twitch and youtube with tutorials and interviews whatever system you're running whatever game you're playing reaper has a mini for you every time you shop with them spend 40 dollars on your purchase they're going to give you a cool new mini of the month and it's always something new so all the more reason to check back often of course by now you've heard on kickstarter that reaper miniatures bone 6 tales from the green griffin went live on Kickstarter and has wrapped up. But if you still want to get involved in a whole truckload of minis, just sign on up through the backer kit and you too can get a plethora of plastic figures. As well, I gotta thank Reaper for their continued support of me and my humble podcast. I've gotten several gift cards from them, and so again, I gotta say thank you. The holiday season came and went for me, and so I definitely have to make sure I sit down so I can use all of that lovely gift card money to get some cool minis. I know I've already got one, but maybe I need a second one if you want to Get a cool relief mini that helps to help the world and also add to your collection. Might I suggest the Nightingale Kenku Bird Bard character. It's based off the national bird of Ukraine. But if you get this little figure for $9.99, of that $7.50 gets allocated towards UNICEF relief efforts in the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. So if you visit my website, go to the show notes below. You can use my referral link when you shop to help support sidekicks and side quests, and get some savings. By clicking that link on my website, it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards Reaper Miniatures. So the more traffic, the more that our Texas powers combine. So again, go check the link out on the website in order to use my special code and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. All right, so this is the part of the show where we get to do a little bit of a roleplay scenario, a vignette, to showcase the NPC that we've made here today. So... Uh, I believe Nick has done a great job creating the lore that's associated with Cirrus. But now the question becomes, who should I be uh, in the scene? Am I going to be one of my podcast adventuring characters? Am I going to be a random peasant person? Am I going to be this captain kind of uh, setting up the impetus of the side quest? Or what kind of uh, scene are you interested in showcasing today?
1: I think it would be great if it was one of your established characters being presented with the side quests from Cirrus.
0: Options that we have
1: available
0: are we have Duncan, who's the recklessly brave, happy-go-lucky adventurer. He is gullible, that's true, but he's also very good-hearted, chaotic good energy, he projects. We've got Sonya, who's the warrior woman. She started off as a barbarian and multiclassed into a paladin. We then have Korak, who is the lawful evil arcane trickster roguish dwarf. We have Chrisley, who is the, maybe not as much shy, but she is a uh, herbalist botanist wood elf druid who multiclassed into a cleric. And then we also have our newest NPC that we made a couple episodes ago is uh, Orion, who is the astral elf illusionist wizard And if none of those sound good, we can totally generate a whole brand new character to throw at uh, Cirrus today.
1: No, I think that uh, your first new gullible fighter uh, would be perfect for this scenario.
0: All right, so we will go ahead and set the scene. So where we last left our hero, Duncan, he had wandered into the Underdark, and he had met Benny, who was a measle and a watchman for this donut place, this underground city worship these donuts as it were and uh, he had to go topside to go fight off some gigantic carnivorous plants to retrieve the material ingredients from within in order to help sustain this donut obsessed culture in the underdark and so after that adventure and saying his goodbyes to benny and that silly society he ventured forth up topside he's near a port a port town in the world and so as he's making his way into town He can hear the cry of the gulls above and the candor and the soundscape of the marketplace as it butts up against the docks. Duncan looks over and he can see that there's this whole crowd gathered up and this uh, this strange sort of voice that he's not readily familiar with. What has Duncan seen as he's approaching this crowd and and seeing Cirrus for the first time?
1: Sure. So there's a crowd of sailors and merchants and travelers, and they're all kind of gathered around these three barrels. And behind the three barrels is this colorfully dressed in robes and flowing clothes uh, a tabaxi, but he's... Orange with tiger stripes, and he has these large hands, and he's holding up cards and uh flipping them on the barrel lids and moving them around, and he's purring to himself and talking
2: to the crowd. Oh, yes, yes. Oh well, Rusius, yeah, Rusius has cards, 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 cards. Now follow the cards. Ah. Here it is, the king, the king of hearts. Oh, he's a romantic. Yes, follow, is he here, is he there? Which, where is he in? You, you there. Captain, you, step forward. Point to the king of hearts.
0: And so the captain will take a moment and, uh, you know, scratches his chin and he feels uh, pretty confident in himself, uh, if gullible. So the captain is uh, picking up on the subtle hints and the body language of Cirrus. So then that way he's actually choosing the card that Cirrus wants him to choose. And so with all the bravado of thinking of it, it's his own idea himself, he points at the card uh, that Cirrus wants him to pick.
1: He flips it over and he goes,
2: oh, the king of hearts, and a round of applause.
1: And the crowd is very into it and they're very shocked because for the last 30 minutes, no one has been able to pick the right card. And so this captain has done something that the crowd thinks is impossible. And so Cyrus says, yes, now for the prize, for the prize. And he starts to pull out the paper and the bottomless ink well when something happens to cause the captain to go away.
0: Probably maybe his first mate runs up. And uh, we'll say, "All right, Captain! All right, Captain! We've got everything loaded up, and uh, you know, you gotta meet with the harbor master. We gotta get our lines cut off. We're already behind schedule." And then the captain will say, oh, 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 dear me, I can't believe I oh, I was having such a whirl of a time here. And then he'll just kind of like bow a little bit, like with the tip of his hat to Cirrus uh, and just say, oh, thank you for the good show. That was all good fun. And he like claps his first mate on the shoulder and says, all right, off we go to the ship. And he's like trying to like wedge his way through the crowd and stuff like that as he's trying to get back um, to his ship. When Cirrus looks up and sees that the guy's leaving.
1: In a panic, Cirrus is, oh, you're, you're a prize, you're a prize, don't go. But the crowd is loud and, and the, the sea and the gulls and the and the ships and people calling and the ship making ready. He panically looks around the crowd as it's dispersing. Mm-hmm. And that's when he sets his eyes on Duncan. And he
2: goes, "Ah, you uh, oh. uh, an adv- adventurer? And- Why, yes, I am yeah, Duncan. I can- uh uh the the, the, the the captain he's he's leaving without his prize i uh, i i i i give you uh a, a special gift if you if you will help me if you will help me oh. this this bag is small but uh but
1: will carry many things and he reaches in and he pulls out a staff six feet long staff out of the
2: little tiny pouch and he says and and it can be yours but i but the the captain he needs to sign this contract with this pen quickly take it to him and 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 give him this ordinary ring
0: and then Duncan, because he is, uh, you know, chaotic good and he's uh, trustworthy because of the stakes of the, the panic that he could detect in him. He's sympathetically feeding off that energy, that urgency. And so he's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, uh, Yes, sir. Right, right away. And so he like takes off running um, and he kind of, you know, he definitely does look like an adventurer. But you can see like a whole mishmash of things because he's got this like crossbow sort of contraption on his wrist. He has like a cane, but it also glows. It has a faint magical glow kind of coming off of it that he's holstered like a sword. He's wearing like deerskin loafers on his feet with these coins that are like stuck in them like penny loafers. But yet, you know, they seem to help increase his strength and his speed and stuff like that. And so maybe not quite like a T-1000 run in a Terminator 2, but with the swiftness, he takes off down the dock and so he runs after the captain and uh, the captain's just about finishing up his conversation with the harbor master, and he's about ready to start walking up his gangplank and uh, Duncan will cry out and be like, oh, captain, captain, I'm so sorry you left without your prize. Um, the, the man instructed me to have you sign this thing uh, and then you would get this ring and so then the captain's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even realize I was going to win a prize today. oh. And, like, with his bravado and not, you know, because he just got out of this mode of, like, finishing up paperwork with the harbor master, He's kind of, like, in that mode of, like, oh, okay. And so he's, like, oh, oh, a pen. Okay. And then he gets it and he signs it. And then he doesn't realize the faint uh, magical, like, thing that, like, sets in with the contract now that the gentleman's finished signing it. And then he takes the ring and he'll look at it and he says, ah, a beauty. And he'll, like, slip it on one of his fingers And then he says, good man, good show. And he's like, well, off I go. And then uh, he'll walk up his gangplank. And so then Duncan will come running back and he'll say, oh, uh, um, here here you go. Yes, I got the gentleman to sign the thing. And uh, I gave him the ring as you instructed.
2: Ah, my hero. Oh, you are truly victorious in this endeavor uh, you have earned this bag for sure there's just the matter of the paperwork first if you don't mind i feel like
0: that's a pretty good cliffhanger so i'll i'll end <laughs> it there and call it scene all right is Be duncan fantastic. going to sign the tragic paperwork who knows But maybe the plot armor will protect him because he is my precious boy. But there we go. Yeah, scene. So what did you think of the random encounter getting to be serious, like getting to be in his headspace and stuff?
1: Well, it's fantastic because I really like making colorful NPCs that are memorable. One of the biggest things about dungeon mastering for me is uh, whether the adventure is successful or not, or whether the player's characters survive or not it's really about making those memories and I think what, what's wonderful about creating them on a random table is I don't think I've ever made an NPC like this before mm. uh, so being able to roll the dice and roll the tables that's really good that and you could probably tell by my inability to make a tabaxi voice <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounded really cool to me so oh, yeah good, good. Awesome. but yeah
1: it was a lot of fun
0: Glad to hear. Yeah. So as we're starting to get into the final thoughts section of the show where, you know, we get to kind of discuss your time and, you know, if you had any critiques or feedback or anything like that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear it and just I'm just elated that you, you know, have had a good time on the show.
1: Well, thank you. I can't. I can't thank you enough for having me on the show, Kurt. I got a confession to make. I've been listening to Sidekicks and SideQuest Quest podcasts, and I just love all the variety of people that you have on the show. Some of them are gamers. Some of them are not gamers. Some. Uh, the only way to relate to it is like video games and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that you give them this opportunity to create a character. Uh, playing a scene. Uh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful show that you've got, and I'm so glad I could be a part of it today.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and it's the birthday episode now at the time of this recording, so it's always a extra delightful treat when the episode also gets to kind of like be your birthday episode, but I, I have fun doing every episode of this podcast and, you know, getting to do the interviews and getting to make the NPCs, and I just hope Uh, that people out there are able to use these characters in their games. Uh, Maybe it's a dungeon master uh, planting them in a seaside port town, or maybe it's a player character just kind of inventing them as part of the backstory of, like, oh, yeah, I met this guy named Cirrus, and, uh, you know, I won his card trick, um, but I've had this thing that's just plagued me, and I feel like there's this thing that's itching at me or something like that. Maybe that is the, uh, the... the backstory for a warlock at a party or something like that, because the contract that he signed actually was like, Oh, not only do I own your soul, but uh, like, that's the the jumping off point for like a warlock patron or something like that.
1: Well, uh, Kurt, I think that that is a great idea and happy birthday. I am definitely going to be dropping Sirius in a campaign and on some unsuspecting characters.
0: Awesome to hear. And uh, with the final moments of the show, I always like to leave the platform, the stage, the soapbox, and the microphone over to the guests. So whatever you've got to plug, where can we find you on social media? What passions or causes should we know about?
1: Sure. Uh, If you visit me at RaisedOnDND.com, and that's uh, D-N-D dot com. .com, RaisedOnDND.com, you'll find over... 80 episodes now. Um, You don't have to listen to them in order. Um, It's not an actual play. So you just scroll through them, find people that you're interested in hearing about, click on that, and you'll find out about games and books and art and all kinds of things. Also, if you're looking to get into a role playing game, uh, find me at startplayinggames.com forward slash Carterelli. And that's C-A-R-D-A-R-E-L-L-I. So those are my, uh, my hobbies and my passions uh, right now. I have written a 5E module, which is the beginning of a series, which you can find at drivethroughrpg.com. And that is summer at season serenity uh it is the first of a series i hope you check it out uh it is uh role-playing heavy uh with an exciting uh combat uh situation at the end
0: well mr nicholas cartarelli thank you so much uh for taking time out of your busy day to be a guest on our humble podcast and we hope to have you back soon to make even more npcs
1: fantastic
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for side kq podcast i would love to talk D &D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our npcs discussions and commentary if you would like to hail the bod simply send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com to help this show be the resource it's meant to be i ask that you please leave a review on itunes to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, or you've never played Dungeons and Dragons before, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. And finally, after two years, I've decided to open a Patreon for Sidekicks and Sidequests. If you love this podcast and you want to help us grow and expand our operations, I would appreciate it if you would go on over to patreon.com forward slash sidekicksandsidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Your name on the wall of the levitating platter, a loud hurrah on the podcast, or the possibility to introduce an element of chance to NPC creation. Psychics and psychosis is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four. Oh.
2: Psychics, psychos.